This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. This hour, we're going to be joined by Admiral James Stravridis and Senator John Cornyn. How are things unfolding with this impeachment part two? We saw some devastating video yesterday. Devastating for the country. The question is, does it going to be devastating for the president's hope of not being impeached by the Senate? Which many people, all the experts say it's not going to be a problem. But anyone who tells you they saw that video and said no big deal isn't really paying attention. Because it is dramatic, like any siege on any capital. And some had tactical gear. And people you see, we've already seen the woman who got shot and killed. And we know, sadly, uh, a police officer lost her lives and some uh, died from some of the stress of that whole incident in particular. Five overall. So we'll see what it does. I'm just watching Carl Rove now as we started uh, this show. And Carl thinks that the Republicans are going to pay the price in the midterm elections because this looks bad for the whole party. We'll see about that. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And I was pleased to see that President Biden called out Xi on some of the nefarious actions that China's undertaken. But China is moving aggressively every day. They're moving against us. Odd, uh, so true. Biden and Xi talk. Is the president ready to be tough on a global nemesis? Can he be as his son still is invested and many of his administration have thick ties with China? The first step, how was this virus started? Can we get that question out? Why did you lie about it, China? And what was about to, what is was about to hit us? If we knew ahead of time, we might not have had hundreds of thousands die. Number two. What we're really seeing here is the Department of Homeland Security is going to be turned into a catch and release operation that empowers cartels to make money moving human beings for profit across the border to move vast quantities of fentanyl and dangerous narcotics into the United States. Unbelievable. Chip Roy talks saying like it is in Texas. Ramifications and results from President Biden's border bungle. It's undeniable as illegals are flooding in. The numbers are stunning up 157% year to year. Ten cities are popping up. So the administration's now contemplating what to do next. How about go back to where we were with this? At the same time, they're looking at Florida and saying, is it too dangerous in Florida to let people travel to and from there? Sickening. Number one. If you want to know what the president intended, look at what he did after the siege began. He'd given that speech a dozen times and nobody had stormed anything. The best allegation is once the siege began, what did you do? That is it. But that's not what we're talking about. Trey Gowdy laying it out like the great lawyer he is. Day two of the impeachment. Dramatic, sobering video shows how much danger lawmakers were actually in, but how it also links to President Trump's guilt is the key. And that's where it falls flat. I'll review and preview the trial America uh, is in the middle of. We have so much to do, and I know this is important, but I want this to be done with an investigation instead of investigating somebody that is actually playing golf at Mar-a-Lago. 
So here's what we look forward today. Around noon, the Senate will resume impeachment trial. Uh, on Wednesday, as you saw, the managers presented their case with compelling videos, no question, and photos, no doubt. They're expected to continue to do so. They have about eight hours for their presentation tomorrow through, though it's unclear if they'll use all of their allotted time. I don't see the president's inept legal team doing much. If House impeachment managers finish their arguments, there's a slim chance they will, the slimmest of chance, they say the President Trump's team will go at it. If not, Saturday's off because there are some Jewish members involved in this. And then Sunday, it's back to action. And we could have a vote on this on Tuesday, maybe earlier. Following the senators, following both these testimonies, the senators will have a chance to ask questions. And that could be compelling. About four hours, equally divided. Remember, there's a lot of lawyers in that audience among senators, and they have very crisp questions. You see how uh, Ted Cruz would handle this. You see how Marco Rubio would handle this. You see how Rand Paul will handle this. Much better than the president's legal team. I'm not sure why he picked the people he picked, but we'll find out if there are some direct questions. To give you an idea of what you missed, because you have a job or have other things to do, uh, Congressman Jamie Raskin, uh, he is the impeachment lead manager. Cut one. The evidence will show you that ex-President Trump was no innocent bystander. The evidence will show that he clearly incited the January 6th insurrection. It will show that Donald Trump surrendered his role as commander-in-chief and became the inciter-in-chief. I don't think uh, there's a cell in the president's body that wanted a single security person hurt. I think he wanted their presence felt. He wanted, as they voted for the Electoral College, a big crowd to be outside, letting them know it's a very popular president that he believes was losing the presidency for an unjust reason. That's it. Now, if you're in retrospect, bad move having this. I said it the Monday before it happened because it was picked up. I said, this is going to be anarchy. And it was, sadly. And five people died. If the president actually wanted to improve his legacy, go win at least one of those seats in Georgia and it would have preserved a lot of his policies. Mike Pence should never be a target of anyone's ire. One of the nicest people and loyal people you ever meet, but he was. They were coming for him. They were coming for Schumer. We saw that. If they saw Mitt Romney, he would have been in physical harm. There's no question about that. So that's the problem. But the question is, that is not the question being asked. Is the president responsible? And what did he do during that time? And all this stuff that was brought out there makes for a great documentary, but I'm not sure it makes for a great case against the president. Congresswoman Stacey Plaskett also laid it out on the line. She was pretty strong in her presentation. In fact, they all are, but I found them a little redundant. We know about the emotion of the day. We know it was serious. We know Joaquin Castro hates Trump from day one. So all the people that hate Trump, Eric Swalwell, the most unworthy congressman out there, who I actually thought would be a little bipartisan, family famously always talks about being a Republican about two years ago. But, man, has he disappointed. Why they picked him is a total in-your-face because of how he's linked to China. A total in-your-face I could not care less from Nancy Pelosi. But in terms of how it went, rather than go through every step of the way, here's what Trey Gowdy said. Cut 10. Evidence of intent is always admissible, and Congressman Ford's point is if you want to know what the president intended, look at what he did after the siege began. And, and Brett, you know, because you and I have talked about it, I've always thought that was the better allegation to make, is not that the speech incited people, because he'd given that speech a dozen times and nobody had stormed anything, and there have been lots of bad speeches by politicians that contained the word fight and all manner of other hot rhetoric. The best allegation is 
once the siege began, what did you do? And my fear is we haven't even heard that evidence yet. That's uh, that's something we don't know. That's all going to be hearsay. And that's key. I just want to bring you to this little fight they had. And I don't want to take too much time away from Admiral Stravitas. We've got to talk about the president's call with China with him. He's got great access, former Supreme Allied uh, commander of NATO. So they were accusing Mike Lee of having a conversation with uh, Senator Tuberville about the president. And it just didn't happen. It was reported by the Washington Post. And Mike Lee finds himself part of the presentation against the president. And here's what he said. Cut six. Mr. President, majority leader, pursuant to impeachment rule 16, I make a motion. Statements were attributed to me moments ago by the House impeachment managers. Statements relating to the content of conversations between a phone call involving President Trump and Senator Tuberville Mm -hmm. were not made by me. They're not accurate. And they're contrary to fact. I move pursuant to rule 16 that they be stricken from the record. So a little bit of chaos there. Don't go ahead and put a quote up. All you do is ask him, did you say that? And because it's in the Washington Post doesn't mean it's true. So Jamie Raskin, he looked nervous as heck, said this. Cut seven. The impeachment manager, Mr. Cicilline, correctly and accurately quoted a newspaper account, um, which the distinguished senator uh, has taken objection to. So we're happy to withdraw it. On the grounds that, that it is uh, on the grounds that it is not true, um, and we are going to with- repeated it too. Okay, we're going to withdraw it this evening, and without any prejudice to the ability to resubmit it, if possible, and then we can debate it if we need it. But it's not. It's this is much ado about nothing because it's not critical in any way to our case. It's much ado about nothing unless it's you that get it, that's brought up, Jamie Raskin. So I could do without the emotion. We could see it. We know it's serious. We know the insurrection is bad. But I would love to see the surveillance video inside the Minneapolis police station when they were told to evacuate because you were outnumbered. I'd love to see the video last night of the Portland police station that was under siege and full of graffiti. They were trying to take it over last night. I would love to see as they abandoned the one in Minneapolis because they said there's too much people on the, too many people on the outside. In Seattle, they decided just to leave it. And de-escalate. I would love to see some of the surveillance videos, some of those places in Kenosha that were ransacked and were as they look for people to beat up because of what happened with uh, uh, with the police officers and Jacob Blake. When we come back, I want to talk about what's happening in the world. And then Senator John Cornyn on the chances of president actually getting impeached and forbidden from ever running office again. And does he feel what Carl Rove said is true? that the Republicans got to pay the price of the midterms for this video and for this presentation. That's really what this is about. Busy day. Glad you're here. Hope to hear from you. 1-866-408-7669. It's Brian Kilmeade. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Is there a timeline for when President Biden would like to try to come back to the table and get a deal on the Iran nuclear deal? Well, that's really up to Iran. Um, if uh, Iran comes back into full compliance with the obligations under the JCPOA, uh, the Iran nuclear deal, the United States would do the same and then use that as a platform to build a longer and stronger agreement that also addresses other areas of concern. Taking the Houthi rebels who are allied with Iran off the terror list helps. Saying, I no longer will support Saudi Arabia, who is trying to keep the Houthi rebels from continuing power and to, to continuing to terrorize that country. Uh, stopping supporting for Saudi Arabia for that, that certainly helps. But this won't help. The Wall Street Journal reporting, according to the uh, material that they got, Iran is producing a banned material uh, from the 2015 agreement used to form the core of a nuclear weapon. That, according to the UN, uh, the UN Atomic Agency report, uh, that just came out. So that will not help if uh, Joe Biden's trying to get momentum or trying to legitimately come back to the table and get the Iran deal done, which would not even have gotten 50 percent of the vote in the Senate at the time and might not get that again. Admiral James Chavitas joins us now. The 16th Supreme Allied Commander knows all about fighting to keep America safe. Admiral, welcome. Good to be with you, Brian. And boy, you put your finger on the toughest foreign policy problem facing this administration. And this news that the Wall Street Journal reports, how significant is that to you? It's very significant. Um, What they're talking about, Brian, is using their processes to create uh, metal, effectively uranium in metal form. And that becomes a casing around which you build a nuclear bomb. Uh, As usual, the Iranians claim, quote, it's for peaceful purposes, quote. I don't think anybody believes that. And so this is another blatant escalation. And we ought to look at it not only as a nuclear weapon escalation, but it's part of them seizing tankers. They seized a South Korean tanker recently. It's part of their uh, ongoing terror campaigns around the region. You mentioned their support for the Houthi rebels who are actually launching missiles at Riyadh. So Iran's strategy is to continue to escalate, and they are banking on bad behavior 
to get what they want, which is lifting sanctions. I think they're misunderstanding where this administration is coming from. I don't see the Biden team caving on this one to Iran. And they said, you know, drop the sanctions and then we'll go back to the plan. It's probably uh, then Joe Biden simply on Super Bowl Sunday said no. Germany, France and the UK expressed deep concern. How what is what am I supposed to read into the words deep concern? Because they're still adhering to the agreement are, are our allies. They are. And uh, here's one to watch. Uh, in uh, a week, you're going to see the NATO ministerial. This is where all the defense ministers come together, what we would call, of course, the Secretary of Defense. They come together in Brussels. Uh, Iran will very much be part of that conversation. And uh, you're correct. It's really the U.K., France, Germany, and the European Union, which is the collective body. Uh, Those are the partners that we need to step up and help us put the kind of pressure on Iran that is necessary, as uh, Jen Psaki just said, to try and build and get further. Because on our side, we should not be satisfied with the old Iranian nuclear deal. It's simply insufficient given the level of Iranian bad behavior around the region. You would think. Uh, Joe Biden yesterday was at the Pentagon, and yeah. he talked about uh, forming a China task force. Listen, cut 22. I was briefed on a new uh, DOD-wide China task force that Secretary Austin is standing up to look at our strategy and operational concepts, technology and force posture, and so much more. The task force will work quickly, drawing on civilian and military experts across the department so that we can chart a strong path forward on China-related matters. You like this task force? Do you know anything about it or who's on it? Um, I do. It's headed up by Eli Ratner, who is uh, very well thought of in this zone. Um, a lot of talent in the Pentagon. Without getting into classified material, there are there have always been, if you will, think tanks within the Pentagon that have been focused tactically and strategically on the challenges of China. So this is real. Um, here's the key, though, Brian. Um, it's not going to be sufficient for the Pentagon to have a standalone kind of military strategy. It's got to be part of a larger strategy that connects with the commercial issues we face, the intellectual property theft we face, the legal claims in the South China Sea, our concern about Hong Kong and Taiwan. It's got to be part of a diplomatic, economic, cultural set of strategic approaches. I don't see that unfolding yet. Um, I'll close by saying one good thing is that the Biden administration has named a very experienced U.S. diplomat in China hand, if you will, a man named Kurt Campbell, uh, who will be at the NSC staff, National Security Council staff, He's got to take charge of this Pentagon piece and add it to the State Department piece, to the Department of Commerce piece, to the trade representative piece, because we've got to have a coherent strategy to deal with China. Uh, No kidding. How concerned are you about their presence in Central and South America and throughout the Caribbean? I am extremely concerned. And, Brian, going back before I was, you know, the NATO guy, 
uh, I spent three years as commander U.S. Southern Command. So that's in charge of all military activities south of the United States. Did that from 2006 to 2009. I'm intimately familiar with the advances China has made throughout the region. They have a smart strategy. It's, uh, it's economic, but now they're beginning to do more and more military-to-military training. Um, it is uh, – they are – trying to come into our hemisphere uh, in, in, in an attempt, I believe, to distract us from working in the Pacific. They think that by putting pressure on us, on our home court, if you will, mm-hmm. um, it, it will reduce our propensity to be involved in their home court in the South China Sea. We've got to rise above mm-hmm. that. We need, again, a coherent strategy to deal with China. 2034, a novel of the next world war is uh, coming out <laughs> shortly, right? It is in a month, and uh, maybe we'll talk about it uh, in the weeks to come. But it's a story about how these two nations could disastrously sleepwalk into a war. We've got to avoid that. We need a strategy if we're going to do so. You don't need to have a creative mind. He knows what the intelligence is like. Admiral James Travitas, <laughs> thanks so much. Appreciate it. Okay, Brian. Have a great weekend. Okay, Bye. you got it. Senator John Cornyn coming up next. Then your calls. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. You want the podcast? BrianKilmeadeShow.com. I know you do. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Even though the count resulted in the defeat of his party and his own candidacy, Vice President Pence had the courage to stand against the president. Tell the American public the truth and uphold our Constitution. That is patriotism. That patriotism is also what put Vice President in so much danger on January 6th by the mob sent by our president. And that was Congresswoman Plaskett uh, of New York, and she was laying. She was uh, part of the, the House managers laying out the case with a lot of videos, some of which we had not seen before. And I don't think anybody looked at that and said, no big deal. It is a big deal. But the question is, is the president responsible for that? Senator John, and should he be impeached? Senator John Corn is one of the people that's going to make that decision. If 17 Republicans say yes, uh, the president uh, it will be impeached uh, by the House and the Senate. Uh, Senator, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Good to be with you. So what was your thoughts when you saw some of that video, maybe for the first time? Well, on January the 6th, was we were sitting there in the Senate chamber, and the Secret Service pulled the, um, pulled the vice president out. Obviously, we knew something was going on. And then uh, the next thing that happened, the Capitol Police said uh, the, the, the building's been breached and uh, the best place for you to be is right here where you are, so please have a seat. And, you know, how your mind wanders at a time like that, it's kind of what you don't know that you, that you think about and worry about. And, uh, but shortly thereafter, they, uh, they led us out uh, to uh, down, down a couple flights of stairs like they did the vice president into a secure location. So uh, that, uh, that was, it was a pretty emotional moment uh, yesterday, but uh, we're not going to be deciding this case based on emotions. We're going to be deciding it based on the Constitution. And what do you think the Constitution says? You have a, you're, you were a judge for a while. You under, no one has to explain the Constitution to you. 
Well, my my reading of the Constitution says that you can impeach a sitting president, uh, but it says nothing about impeaching and trying a person who's a private citizen. That uh, concerns me a lot because, of course, uh, this is a, a precedent uh, that will be followed in the future. Uh, this is the fourth impeachment trial in American history, and uh, two of them have been in the last 13 months. And I worry that uh, that this is the way we're going to decide who can hold office, who can't hold office, whether we're going to re retaliate uh, or seek retribution against political adversaries once they've left office. I think it's a dangerous trend, and I'm very concerned about it. Overall, with this impeachment becomes almost old hat, but it can't be for political rivals. I'm concerned most of all. Every election is a problem. I remember in 2000, George Bush, W. Bush, four years of hearing he's illegitimate. His brother gave him the election from Florida. And then right. we hear... Uh, the twenty, we remember twenty sixteen. Uh, okay, Russia gave the president election. He never, he didn't really win the election in twenty twenty. President Trump says, "There's no way I lost. I got ten million more votes this time than last time." And I'm thinking to myself, "All you're doing is is picking, you know, picking your favorite team and deciding if you lose, it, you know, it was rigged." And that overall has to be addressed. Is it possible to address that? Well, I think you're exactly right. Um, it's it's the double standards and the hypocrisy that, that, that make me crazy, and I think I'm not alone. Uh, I think a lot of people watching what's happening here see the rules applied differently uh, depending on who the, who the candidate, who the office holder is. Uh, the only way I know how to do that is through uh, is is through uh, transparency and, and and letting people understand what's going on, uh, which is part of all of our responsibility. But as long as people can get away with it, uh, they're going to continue. Senator, I think you're pretty much and stop me if I'm wrong in the Mitch McConnell camp. Let the president try his legal hand after the election, see if there's anything wrong, and then when the state certified, you said okay, he lost. So you're, you don't believe he should have ever had the January 6th event, right? No, I think, uh, you know, people have a right to, to assemble and uh, under the First Amendment to exercise their free speech rights. And so I have no problem with that. My concern is that the Capitol Police, the city of, of, um, uh, of Washington, D.C., no one was prepared for the infiltration of some of these extremist groups into that. And, of course, mobs being what they are, the lowest common denominator tends to define the entire group. But I, I have no doubt that the, the, the vast majority of people there were there exercising their constitutional rights. But obviously you don't have a constitutional right to break into the Capitol, to commit murder, or to assault the police. So do you believe uh, ad, a mind's being changed through this presentation? I would be I would be surprised. Uh, obviously, we all lived through this, so we know generally what happened in terms of the facts. But this is uh, this is more than just about Donald Trump. This is about uh, whether impeachment's going to become a regular part of our political process after voters have voted for somebody in office, whether they are going to be removed by their political opponents uh, in a political impeachment. And furthermore, I just think the precedent of, of going after somebody who's already left office is, is a bad one. The Constitution makes clear that if there's grounds for uh, an investigation, an indictment, and trial uh, in, in Article Three courts, in a criminal court, that, uh, that that's still available. But I think impeachment of somebody who's left office, a, a private citizen, is a, is a bad precedent, and I, I'm, I'm not going to support that. You're not. Uh, are you upset at the president by the way he handled things after the election? Well, Brian, I think the president 
did did his supporters a disservice, and I was one of them, by insisting that after 62 lawsuits and he had exhausted all of his legal remedies, that somehow the right answer was to refuse to certify uh, the votes from the states. I obviously voted to certify those because I felt like his protest, his lawsuits his, uh, had run their course, and, uh, and he didn't win. I supported President Trump. I wish he had won, but that's our, that's our law. That's our Constitution, and I'm duty-bound to uphold that. So I think, I think he, uh, he did not cover himself in glory, and I think, unfortunately, squandered a lot of the um, goodwill for the things that he did that I thought were very good during his four years of office. I mean, fantastic. I mean, I cannot believe how easy it is for me to list them. I mean, if you think about what he did at the border compared to what we have now, think about getting NATO to pay more. Think about the USMCA. It's an improvement. Think about the tariffs that got China's attention. Think about the tax plan that came through. Think about the lack of regulations. Think about the pro-business attitude uh, that he he had for just about everything. He would never have canceled a pipeline and killed 15,000 jobs on his worst day. But in terms of this, uh, it's going to be tough to shake. There was a story in the New York Times with uh, pure stats. It talked about the Repu- how many people are leaving the Republican Party. You guys actually had a good election. State houses, you're going to get to uh, redistrict, and it's going to help you. Uh, you're within a whisker taking back the House, and you're in a deadlock on the Senate, and there's a chance you could take that back too. But with so many leaving the Republican Party, where do you go from here, Senator? Well, first of all, all these pundits who uh, predict make these predictions uh, almost invariably are wrong. Uh, it's uh, you know we don't know what the environment's going to be two years from now. But what I predict is that uh, Joe Biden is not going to be able to withstand the progressive wing of his party. They're going to push him in the direction he's already been shown willing to go in to kill jobs like the Keystone XL pipeline, not to let our kids go back to school because he's worried about the teacher unions. I think I think the loyal opposition will form uh, to his policies, which uh, will be where they will overreach. And I think the election 2022 is going to be largely about that. I want you to hear what Karl Rove just said to Bill Hemmer and Dana Perino about the ramifications of this two days, this two days of uh, video about the about the invasion of the Capitol. It's a very political uh, effort, no doubt about it. But it will have an effect, in my in my opinion. There's no doubt about it that this has focused the attention of the American people. It's going to have a primary effect on Donald J. Trump, President Trump, but it's going to have a secondary impact upon the Republicans. And I have no doubt we're likely to see if there is acquittal. Uh, any Republican who's up for an election in 2022 in a tough district or a tough state is likely to see. Uh, this material used against them. No ifs, ands, or buts. Well, that's a Texan who I know you like, Uh, Karl Rove, hardly a a left-winger who wants to eviscerate the Republican (laughs) Party. He's not a Lincoln Project guy. So what's your reaction to his analysis? Well, Carl's a smart guy, and um, I I think he's usually right, and I'm not going to dispute what he said. I do think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things that will happen between now and 2022. Um, People worry about votes they cast here in the Senate, but we cast hundreds and even thousands of them. And so there's plenty of material, and my experience is even when there isn't any good material, people will make it up and use it against you. So uh, that's what elections are about, is uh, taking your case to the voters, and it's going to depend on who the candidate is, what their rationale is for how they've conducted themselves in office and and, uh, and the policies they would embrace. So I think it's a little premature to, to count Republicans out in 2022. Do you know how you're going to vote on impeachment? 
Well, I, as I told you, I, I'm, the facts are, are very troubling, but this is a, this is a question of the Constitution, and I'm, I'm right now I'm certainly not inclined to extend a impeachment okay. authority to a non a non office holder to a non to a private party. I think it's it would ensure that we would have that impeachment would be a regular part of our political process, not elections. We need to channel this energy and this enthusiasm into choosing candidates for a public office, not in trying to destroy them once they've uh, once they've left but it might be a different story if this was year three of his four-year term it would be different then clearly the clearly it would be subject uh, to the, the constitutional provisions we'd have the chief justice in the chair and not pat Leahy. and uh, i think it would be a different issue right. senator uh, i had the land commissioner on george p bush yesterday and they are looking at some legal action that's already been taken by your attorney general in Texas to stop some of these executive orders from going through, one of which is they've banned all drilling on uh, on federal land. And he believes the whole attack on the pipeline is really going to affect you guys. That oil is not going to be flowing to your refineries. Legally, are there things you can do to stop Joe Biden and his left-wing agenda, which I never – I actually didn't think he was going to have? Yeah, I think I think Joe Biden is is not completely in control of his administration. I think the people he surrounded himself with and the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warrens and the AOCs are in the driver's seat and even you have uh, you have Chuck Schumer looking over his shoulder at AOC who may primary him in 2022. So I think, unfortunately, this, these are going to have to be decided in the courts. And we spent the last four years populating the, the courts, the federal courts, with good, uh, strong uh, judges who I know will call balls and strikes. And uh, that's where a lot of this is going to be decided. On immigration, I know you got to run, but on immigration, the number of border crossings, apprehensions, and expulsions are up 157%. They are beginning to put up 10 cities again uh, in the Texas portion of the border. I think the Rio Grande Valley portion, which I've been there uh, when it comes. Uh, so they're rising up. They got 700 kids who came across with as uh, unaccompanied minors. Now, single adult apprehensions have jumped triple digits in nine southwestern border sectors, including yours, comparing January 20th to January 21st, up 182 percent. We've seen this movie before. How can we stop it? Politics is is uh, coming to a head in the middle of a pandemic at our southern border. Well, this is part of part of the mistakes and the overreach that I think uh, people are going to unify behind in opposition to. But you know, there's a there's something called Title 42 in place right now, which is a public health uh, limitation on uh, cross border travel. And uh, it seems like uh, the Biden administration has forgotten everything they've said about the spreading of the virus. You know, the, a lot of these folks are coming from Central America and Mexico, where the where the, where the virus is running rampant. And uh, the idea that our border communities are somehow going to absorb all these people and 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 the potential for spreading. COVID-19 is something that, to me, is very, very serious. That's that's an extra concern over and above just the fact that uh, our Democratic friends don't seem to care about border security. They don't seem to want to just uh, have a turnstile at the border, let anybody and everybody come in who wants to. And to me, it's fundamentally unfair to the million people we naturalize each year who do it the, the right way and play by the rules to let these people jump in line and just create a lawless situation at the border. We paid for wall it's already made they just got to put it up we were told that they were told to stop putting it up now we got to pay off the contract to destroy the wall or store the wall 
Is there anything legally with your legal mind that you could do in Texas to finish the work you paid for, we paid for? Yeah, there's, I mean, there are contractual obligations. Again, I'm sure these are going to be decided in the courts, uh, by and large. But, you know, the, the physical barriers along the border used to not be political uh, until Trump decided to talk about it, as calling it the wall. We had something called the Secure Fence Act back in 2005 that people like John Kerry uh, and, uh, and Joe Biden and, and, and Chuck Schumer supported because the Border Patrol will tell you, I'm sure they have, they tell me, that they need technology, they need the boots on the ground, but they also need physical barriers and hard-to-control places. So until Trump came along, nobody thought that was particularly controversial. Want to hear something? Let's go back to 2006. Maybe you'll recognize this voice. Construction of a 630-mile border fence that create a significant barrier to illegal immigration on our southern land border. Illegal immigration is wrong, plain and simple. That is Chuck Schumer. What happened? (laughs) Well, Chuck Schumer, he's done a, done a, a magnificent flip-flop, and I think it just shows the, the, the way that the, the Democratic Party has become captive of the progressives. These are the people who said, you know, we want to abolish ICE. We want to defund the police. Uh, I think this is a reason why we did have a good election on November the 3rd, by and large, because of their overreach, Most, including, including folks in the Rio Grande Valley, large Hispanic regions of, of my gotcha. state that traditionally have voted Democrat. They voted for President Trump, and they voted for other Republicans because they felt like the Democrats had just mm-hmm. lost touch. Senator jo- uh, John Cornyn, we brought you through the ringer. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. You got it. one 866 Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's more than a game. Learn a lot about hard work, dedication, putting in time. It's their way to, like, cope with anything that's going on. It's how they make friends. Yeah, it's nice to win. It's nice to play games. But outside of that, you don't see how the teams are family. It's about, like, team and coming together with your friends and actually being able to do something you all work well with together. Yeah, your teammates help you, like, find who you are, really. They push you to be your best. And now that is uh, some of my feature that ran on Fox and Friends. We'll run some a little bit later on in the show, too. It's just about kids be, uh, having a chance in New York now, and hopefully it's a situation in your town, to get all the sports in the next five months. They're taking fall sports. They're taking winter sports. They're taking spring sports, and I try to get it done right away. Hey, look, we got like six feet, six inches of snow on the ground here. It's going to be tough, but they're all going to get a chance to play, and that's the important, and we went out and, and covered it uh, almost every sport on what it's going to be like now that they get a chance to do something they thought they were going to be prevented from doing. Rob, you're in Jacksonville. Hey, Rob. Okay, well, let's go to Al, KDWN. Hey, Al. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, listen, um, um, I want to bring attention to something that's happened that the media may not be talking about and the conservative media may want to start addressing so they could probably get to the lawyers and defend Donald Trump. Uh, we've all forgotten that Donald Trump was in a bunker for an hour back in the, during the George Floyd area uh, time when things were hot about that. 
and that the mayor of um, uh, Washington, D.C., didn't provide him the proper support. I'm reading the stuff here on the Internet just to just to um, uh, refresh. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Al, I, I'm up against a break, but that's a good point. The security was not perfect there. They, were, they almost got overwhelmed, and they certainly got overwhelmed at the Capitol. Good point. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, I have at the bottom of the hour Congressman Darrell Issa. Why is that significant? Always great to talk to the congressman, but uh, he was part of the recall that put George, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in the governor's mansion uh, in California. Gray Davis, gone. He had the recall effort there. He kind of led it. And now we have one again, and they just basically hit the threshold, 1.5 million signatures to really put Gavin Newsom out to pasture, and then we'll put that up to a vote. So Chris Wallace is just getting out of the shower. He asked me to buy some time. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And I was pleased to see that President Biden called out Xi on some of the nefarious actions that China's undertaken. But China is moving aggressively every day. They're moving against us. Uh, That is so true. And that is Senator Bill Haggerty talking about Joe Biden going to the Pentagon yesterday and talking about the challenge of China. The president's ready to talk tough. Is he ready to do it against our global nemesis while his son has still got a two million dollar invested in a hedge fund linked to China's government? The first step. How was the how about how the virus started? How about what exactly is the virus? Maybe it would help us stop the virus. Number two. What we're really seeing here is the Department of Homeland Security is going to be turned into a catch-and-release operation that empowers cartels to make money moving human beings for profit across the border to move vast quantities of fentanyl and dangerous narcotics into the United States. That is Congressman Chip Roy of Texas. Ramifications and results from President Biden's border bungle. It's undeniable as illegals are flooding in. The numbers are up 157 percent. Tent cities are being set up and popped up for kids to come over because they're unaccompanied minors. And yet there's still talk of limiting travel to Florida because they're worried about the pandemic. Can you worry about the southern border first? Number one. If you want to know what the president intended, look at what he did after the siege began. He'd given that speech a dozen times and nobody had stormed anything. The best allegation is once the siege began, what did you do? Good point, Trey Gowdy. Day two of impeachment. Dramatic sobering video shows how much danger lawmakers were actually in. But how does it link to the president and his guilt? And his impeachment. I'll review and preview the trial as we get into day three today. And it's going to end with questions and answers, questions from the senators on both sides, on both sides. But first. And now, welcome to radio's unchallenged authority on wealth, privilege, and success. Caviar dreams and champagne wishes. Here it is, the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Wait, he's going to be talking about the, what we did the night before and celebrities. Meet the stars of the cable news business. Are you a cocaine addict? <laughs> 
Discover how cable news winners live, love, and spend their meager salaries. I was at a very nice resort in the Bahamas for five days. Enter their dazzling world of luxury on privileged tours of the palaces they're routinely invited to but don't actually live in. He invited me to come to his villa on Lake Como to spend about four or five days there. Your host is Brian Kilmeade, who circles the globe to uncover the stories of cable news opulence. My agent says to me, you are the highest paid person in, in television. On this high note edition. As you've said to me often, you're irreplaceable. I never bit. said that. Oh, you, off camera. Chris Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Chris? We finally got the true you. Well, no. I, I mean, look. <laughs> that is that is fake news. And frankly, what do you, you mean? and Frank uh, and, and Peter for Kill Me, he always calls me. Uh, and Eric, you are the enemy of the American people. That is such I, – look, I, I'd like to regale you and to regale people. I've been fortunate enough to meet some interesting people. I think you would like to hear about it. Right. But if you're going to make fun of me, I, I, I you know, I'll, I could tell you who I had dinner with last night, but I'm not going to. Wait a second. You had dinner with somebody famous last night indoors? I did. I did. But okay. you don't want to hear it because obviously you'll make fun of me. Colin Powell? <laughs> Out of the blue, of all the people in the world, <laughs> Colin Powell. Actually, no, it was Lorraine Wallace, the best-selling author of Mr. Sunday's Soaps. Wow. And incidentally, with all the snow, and we got snow here on the East Coast. I don't know if you have it in New yeah, York. Yeah, we did, we too. In Washington. Um, soups are a del- We had soup last night. That's what we had for dinner, Lorraine and I, by ourselves. Em- I mean, we are empty nesters here, and uh, it was a de- delicious soup. Are you getting used to the days when you don't have teeth, so you don't want to chew? I mean, what's going on? I mean, do you have? I mean, what's? I mean, would you have mashed wow, potatoes? Wow, that's a that's a bad thing to say to somebody my age. Well, you're not that old. The days I don't have teeth. You know, uh, every once in a while something happens, and I'll say to Lorraine, uh, "Preview of coming attractions." She doesn't like that. She doesn't find that the least bit funny. Because she's significantly younger than you. She is. And she's quite annoyed because I got I got my first vaccine shot because I am in my 70s, and she's a child bride. She's 61. I probably shouldn't say that, but she is, and she can't get a shot. She's a little annoyed about it, but, you know, I, I tell her I'm in a much higher age group than she is. Have you thought about fake ID? No. I played by the rule. I mean, for her? No. Yeah, for I her. thought of a fake ID for me saying I'm 63, <laughs> but people would— People would just laugh at it. Right. And once in a while, I get ID'd, and I think it's hysterical. Um, a couple of things. You get ID'd, like, at whether you're 18 and can have a drink? Yeah, I, I guess there's yeah. some rules. they got to show that you, you've taken ID and uh, what have you. You know, we're in the middle of – got a ridiculous governor here. doesn't want you to do anything that you enjoy. If you caught smiling, it's a fine. Do you, <laughs> do you know, I was talking to a restaurateur last night. I went out to dinner with a very famous my, – my son and my wife. Um, and we went out, and I asked the guy, he owns three restaurants, and he says three times a week minimum, the inspectors come in, they don't even stop at the front, now they go right to the kitchen, hoping to catch someone in the kitchen without a mask up, and it's immediately $1,500. I mean, to me, you've missed the whole point of the pandemic. You're not dealing drugs, you're trying to stop the spread of a disease, and this whole penalty has caused vaccines to be tossed out because you don't want to give it to the wrong person. It's the, the we're under such stress in small business. Don't you think we've missed the point when that's the case? 
I, I think sometimes we have missed the point. I mean, when somebody gets fined because the vaccine was going to go to waste and rather than throw it away, they gave it to people outside the guidelines. I think these we really have missed the point. And with schools, when you've got Rochelle Walensky, the head of the CDC, and used to be the head of infectious disease at Mass General, one of the great hospitals in America, saying basically, you know, with, with reasonable precautions, it's safe to go back to school and people refuse to go back to school, we have missed the point. There's no question about it. Absolutely. And uh, I did a story about now they're going to try to play sports. They're going to try to do nine months in five months and get every sport played in New York. So I think that's that's a step, I believe, in the right direction. But let's talk about the uh, what's been going on in Capitol Hill. Uh, we saw a video we never saw before, security video with Mitt Romney being scurried back, Chuck Schumer being uh, brought to safety, how, Mike, how close Mike Pence got to being hurt. Do you think, as horrific as this is, do you think this is changing votes uh, for impeachment when it's all said and done and they project Tuesday? Um, maybe one or two. Uh, you know, it seems so far to be, if, if not changing the vote, at least putting into question the vote of Bill Cassidy, the senator from Louisiana, who voted, who switched his vote and voted to go ahead with the trial, to, not to dismiss it as unconstitutional on, on, on Tuesday. Uh, but is it going to switch enough votes so that you're going to get 67, two-thirds majority for conviction? No. Uh, it, it just isn't going to change that many votes. And I'm, that doesn't mean it isn't worth going through. That, that just means that people have their minds made up, and for a variety of reasons, some I think substantive, some I think constitutional, and some I think purely political. Uh, there are some people there who, if, you know, if there was a confession on tape, a Perry Mason confession on tape from Donald Trump, they would not vote to convict. True. Here's Joaquin Castro making the case, one of the impeachment managers cut to. President Trump told his supporters over and over again, nearly every day, in dozens of tweets, speeches, and rallies, that their most precious right in our democracy, their voice, their vote, was being stripped away, and they had to fight to stop that. And that was basically with video and different different voices and different approaches. That's pretty much what they're saying. The, it was aggressive language in his speech. He said to go down to Capitol Hill. The question is, did he tell him to go in there and hurt police officers and go after uh, Mike Pence and others? That's the question. Well, here, here's what I think, because I think that the most interesting thing they did yesterday is to say that maybe that isn't the full question. That's certainly part of the question. But to say it isn't just what he said in that speech on January 6th. It's all of his actions over the months before that and, and, and particularly after the election. And, and, you know, I think I've studied this a lot. But there were things that I learned yesterday that I didn't know. For instance, the rally was originally some of the groups, the, some of the right-wing groups that were going to have this big rally in Washington, was originally they were originally going to have it uh, on January 23rd after the inauguration. And it was President Trump and his, his people around him who said, no, let's have it on the 6th, which was the day – of the, the certification of the vote when the whole Congress was going to be there in joint session. And and there seems to have been more coordination. I'm not saying it was coordination. Let's let's, uh, you know, let's go storm and let's go get uh, Mike Pence and all of that. But there seemed to be more coordination about the logistics of January 6th between right wing groups and Trump campaign, Trump White House 
than I had known up to then. And and, and I have to say, I I've come away. I I still have questions about whether there should be uh, a conviction and whether there was incitement. But I do think, you know, and I'm curious to get your reaction to this. Do you think that that President Trump bore any any responsibility for the riot? A couple of things. Uh, if um, if you give a, a, a muscular speech and you're saying, well, you know, well, we got to get back, we got to do this, we got to do X, Y, and Z, and someone interprets it, they turn around and they go knock off a store of a of a of, of a Democrat and they do something terrible to that person, is that person responsible? Well, if they didn't give the speech, would they have done it? Probably not. But did they want him to go beat up the, that store owner who was brought up in that speech? No. But so that's the thing we're at. If you ask Donald Trump, go over there and make sure a Washington Capitol Police, everyone you see is run over, is beaten up. The president is so pro-law enforcement, you'll never make that case. I could never see him saying storm the Capitol. But he's responsible because he had a January 6th event and said, go down there. Absolutely. And do I think it was the stupidest thing? In fact, I think I told you last week, I said on Monday, wait a second, why are they picking January 6th? It's going to be anarchy if you go down there. Because I remember that Women's March, the day of the inauguration, and the anarchy in the streets. We couldn't even get down the street. I never thought they were going to be violent then. I didn't think they were going to be violent here. I'm going to just say... You're going to make this vote to certify an election. You got these thousands of people on the outside. I don't think he ever thought they would breach the perimeter. That's my opinion. Okay, and one more question then, and I'm going back to what you had in uh, your your three big things because I listened keenly to the show before you attacked me as some kind of jet setter. Uh, Trey County, who says the best statement of his intention, best indication, is what he did after the riot began. Yep. And he didn't call for, you know, stop it. You know, don't go after the police. Everybody leave right away. This is the last thing I want. In fact, he says this is the kind of thing that happens when you steal an election. And, you know, he's calling out Mike Pence when Mike Pence is running for his life. You know, when you get to intention, that says something about his intention. I don't know. I mean, I don't see firsthand reports of what he did. I see people, according to Nick said the president, said he was gleeful while it was going on. But I don't know who those people are. And like, for example, I wanted to find out the president's reaction the first day. I heard he was screaming after day one that he was incensed beyond angry. So I called two people over there. One was Dan Scavino. We went back and forth on text, said he was with him every step of the way except for one phone call before he went to bed. In that one phone call, if there was screaming, he would have known about it. He wasn't happy with his team. So I wonder about those first and secondhand reports. But I could point out to a million things wrong. Never should have had the rally. Uh, after the things were certified, uh, after these states certified, especially in Republican states, you got to say, you know, it kills me. I think there's something wrong. I can't prove it. Joe Biden, you're the president. And his approval would be at 55% now. If he toured him the White House, did all the traditional things, uh, his approval would be at 55% because they'd be, they'd be debating policy, not people. He'd still have a Twitter I, account. I couldn't agree with you more. If he had, uh, you know, and I understand that, it, look, it was, a, it was a, a unique election. It was taking place in the pandemic. Are there legitimate questions about uh, the, all the absentee ballots and how they were vetted and, quote, curing the ballots? That's something I'd never heard of before. Absolutely. And if he had, had said, I don't like it, but, you know, the people have spoken, 
taken all your legal challenges, but when they all lost and on December 14th, uh, say there's been there's a transition, invite uh, uh, Biden to the White House, uh, go to the inauguration. It, it would be in a completely different situation. And Donald Trump standing in this country would be in a completely different situation. But, you know, in the end, there's only one person who's responsible for what it, what he did. And that's him. Yep. And Karl Rove just told us, uh, told Bill Hemmer that the uh, Republicans are going to pay the price in 2022 unless something happens because they're going to look at that video. And that's how Democrats are going to look to buck the trend and not give up the House and Senate or. or, so, or so wait, 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 wait. But I'm only so have, I only have 20 seconds. Karl Rove just what? said that's what Karl yeah, Rove I was just say. said. So so what you're basically saying to me is while you and I are talking, you're basically watching TV, you're watching Fox News and you're really paying as I sometimes say to my kids, what percentage of your attention are you paying to me right now? 100%. That was a 920. You're on 1020. Chris Wallace, <laughs> we're going to watch you on Fox News Sunday. Thanks so much. Right. I appreciate it. Caviar dreams and champagne wishes. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Rob, uh, you're on WOKV in beautiful Jacksonville, Florida. Hey, Rob. Yes. Hi, Brian. How are you? Great. What's on your mind? Hey, you know, I'm so fed up with this constant rehashing and rehashing and rehashing that, you know, the Democrats are doing. But, you know, just the fact that they've decided to go ahead with this trial has already set the president. So, you know, when the defense comes up, they need to state that, you know, we're now able to go back and impeach any former president or whoever. In the past, it's already done. They're already going through with this trial. So, you know, that's already out there. And they need to make sure that they know that that's what they're doing. And also to rehash, take their time. They've taken the last two days to to play every video clip, every single tweet that they want. You know, of course, taken out of context some of it. But the, the Republicans or the defense needs to show all the comments that that they have made that not just Biden, but, you know, Harris and, and all the rest of them, the comments that they have made that are far more insightful. In fact, they've committed assault. When you threaten somebody, you know, with violence or yep. with taking their life, that's assault. I know. I hear you. And think about what happened just last night uh, in Portland. They tried to take the police station. You know what happened in Kenosha? You know what's happening uh, a, a week in Seattle? They took the police station. They gave it up. So there's anarchy. Antifa's part of in Washington, D.C. on Sunday. But we never hear about that. This is big, but that that's big, too. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's a very political uh, effort, no doubt about it, but it will have an effect in my in my opinion. There's no doubt about it that this has focused the attention of the American people. It's going to have a primary effect on Donald J. Trump, President Trump, but it's going to have a secondary impact upon the Republicans, and I have no doubt we're likely to see if there is acquittal. Uh, any Republican who's up for an election in 2022 in a tough district or a tough state is likely to see uh, the, the, this material used against them. No ifs, ands, or buts. Well, there you go. That is Karl Rove about an hour ago talking about what the ramifications of these impeachment trial will be. You probably, Donald Trump will probably not get impeached, but that video of Republicans that stand by Donald Trump, they want to beat him over the head with it. Will it be effective? Congressman Darrell Issa has been an ally of President Trump as he went back to Congress and was actually nominated for position. But Chuck Schumer never gave him a chance to get his hearing. And now he's noticing the recall effort on Gavin Newsom and getting, um, uh, as Yogi Berra would say, it's, it's a deja vu all over again because he's the one who led the charge against Gray Davis and put Arnold Schwarzenegger into power. Uh, Daryl, Congressman, welcome back. Well, Brian, thanks for having me back. And thanks, thanks for the deja vu comment. Uh, I guess this is sort of Terminator 2 uh, in that. Uh, a very similar sequence of events have happened, and it's you know it's not it's not a bad guy coming from space, but it is a governor who's letting the lights go out on the state, uh, watching uh, businesses leave the state for good and valid reason, and doing nothing about it. And the only thing you've added to it, of course, is a pandemic in which he has among the worst performance of actually allowing the vaccine to get to people in a timely fashion. We've been in the 30s and 40s uh, among all the states. As a matter of fact, today there are 2 million doses in California that are not in people's arms, and he's that far behind. Well, at the same time, he's not reopening the schools. I'll stop there because I don't want to filibuster this. Well, you also have an attorney general who doesn't want to prosecute criminals, wants to let him out of jail who does not let um, district attorneys represent victims' families when they come up for parole. I mean, it's unbelievable what's happening in your state. Well, it's not unbelievable. It's, it's in a strange way, Brian, it's the will of the people misguided. Uh, they vote for Democrats. They vote for liberals who say a lot of the right things. And then when they pass these crazy laws, we have to come in with referendums and stop them. A good example would be the civil rights initiative that was passed overwhelmingly in California a quarter of a century ago, it had to be back on the ballot from the legislature who wanted to overturn it uh, and be rejected uh, as, no, we do not want to go back to preferences and quotas that gave Alaskan Native Americans special privileges in contracting in California uh, or told Asian Americans they couldn't get into the University of California even though they had the best grades because there was a quota that had to be met for other groups. Those kinds of things are part of California's uh, rather strange situation in which we vote in liberals and then we're shocked at what happens. Uh, but that's what happens, and that's why this uh, recall is going to qualify. And once again, the voters have to say, yes, we know we vote in liberals, but we really don't want crazy leftist politics. Right. So what happens then? Then they have a vote uh, after the recall is put together to see if Gavin Newsom keeps his job, and then they have an election after that? No, sir. It's one and done. 
Uh, Ten days after the recall passes, Gavin has to be gone, and whoever got the most votes, and he is not eligible to be one of those people on the ballot, uh, they walk in and replace them. And the transition is that quick because what you're doing is having <clears throat> two elections in one. One, should we fire the governor and for incompetence, for being that bad? And if so, who is the best candidate who puts themselves up? Uh, when Arnold ran, there were about 135 people on the uh, uh, on the ballot, including the owner and editor of Hustler. And... Uh, Arnold got almost half the vote. The then lieutenant governor, Cruz Bustamani, got about 30 percent because his message was, don't recall the governor. But if you're going to recall the governor, put me in because I'll do the same job. <laughs> uh, and you can, ima- you can imagine how that worked. And that's really what's unique in our situation is that almost every governor has faced an attempt to recall, uh, including Ronald Reagan. But they never get the signatures because they're not that bad. But Gavin, is, Gavin Newsom has managed to be as bad or worse than Gray Davis when it come to, comes to every time he gets to a fork in the road, he goes off the cliff. No, no kidding. And then you have your green technology. You can't even keep the lights on there. They say California is what America is going to experience. And judging by some of these left-wing policies been jammed down our throat, we might be. Congressman, what about the original soundbite we went in? Carl Rove thinks you guys might be paying the price in the midterms because of the insurrection at the White House, because of the invasion from, that, uh, from the mob on January 6th. Do you worry about that? Well, you know, Carl's a good friend of mine, uh, but he, he told me that if I continued with the recall uh, 25 years ago, my career would be over. He also predicted that if we recalled Gray, we were losing the opportunity to help President George W. Bush get reelected. Uh, the opposite happened. Uh, that's one of the, the real challenges in predicting these kind of tidal wave events. I will say this, uh, not just to my good friend Carl Rowe, but to your listeners, if we run away from the important and good things done under the Trump administration and those policies, including caring about the American worker, we will be thrown out of office in droves. If, in fact, we try to defend any aspect of wrongdoing by the right, we will be thrown out in droves. We do have to denounce wrongdoing on the left and right, as I think most Republicans have done a good job of. But we also have to tell the American people we're not giving up on the policies of freedom and the policies of prosperity and the policies of putting America first, uh, both here and around the world. And if we do that, I think we're going to be reelected in large numbers. Um, I, you know, Brian, you know, when I was in the service, I was an armor officer. And there's, a, there's an old joke, which is we put armor on the back of a tank, but we really put the heavy armor on the front because we're expecting the tank to go toward the enemy. Uh, and I think that's an important lesson. If you are running away from your responsibilities, you will be showing a much more vulnerable side of yourself if you're running toward your beliefs and toward the American people mm-hmm. and telling them why you're doing what you're doing. You have your best armor. And by the way, it's also the way the main gun faces most of the time on a tank. And that's where we need to be is being proud of what happened the last four years and, in fact, denouncing not just what happened on January 6th, but what happened that whole summer where around the, uh, the country, including California, 
insurrections uh, at city halls and, and uh, state capitals were allowed to continue right. uh, simply because it was the left protesting. It shouldn't happen on the left or the right ever. Yeah, I got to talking to Congressman Darrell Issa. Congressman, the numbers don't lie. Year to year, the number of expulsions on the southwest border and apprehensions are up 152 percent. 29,000 last year, 75,000 now. 182 percent increase of single males coming across the border from year to year. And now we're sending up 10 cities for unaccompanied minors. This is a catastrophe building in a time in which we are mocking Tampa Bay Bucks fans for not wearing masks. We are willing, we are willing to allow other countries to come here without any tests or any type of acknowledgement that we're in a pandemic. They're not keeping six feet apart, and they're not wearing, and they haven't been vaccinated, to say the least. How do we get so? How could this be tolerated? Well, it can be tolerated because, regardless of what uh, the president campaigned on, he is going to run this country exactly the way that President Obama ran it, which is how many people can you import into this country that in the future will vote differently and change what America is? And, you know, if you look at legal immigration, legal immigration brings in a vast amount of people across the spectrum, and they tend to vote over time very similar to Americans that are already here on the left, on the right. Illegal immigration has always brought in a belief that the party that supports illegal immigration, that supports uh, rampant amnesty, that supports loose borders, that is the party that they not only vote for, but they continue to vote for because of the aspirations of the next generation, including their families and friends in those countries. That doesn't sound fair. But it's pure politics. And the only reason that, that uh, President Obama did this was not that he cared about the immigrant. It's that he cared about his party. And this was good for his party. And with President Biden, there's no question at all. He cares about the future of his party. And he is, in fact, helping bring in the future voters that he expects to have after a broad amnesty. It's that simple. Yeah. It's that political. Tom Holman takes it a step further, cut 18. He's a former ICE director. Designed to be this way. They, they're bringing millions of people into this country who will now be counted on the census because Joe Biden overturned that, which leads to uh, uh, seats in the House, Electoral College, and elections. This is power over public safety, the quest for power over protecting American citizens. Is, uh, the, I'm is, sure glad somebody said that better than I did, Brian. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he brought up the census part of it, too. Uh, but the thing is, the pathway to citizenship, the eight years is out there. They have an eight-year pass. I, don't, I thought you need legislation to do something like that. You know, once, once an administration normalizes somebody by whatever means, then they begin that path. Congress has tried to put in uh, barriers, if you will, but there's a back door, and one of the back doors that President Obama used and used rapidly was he picked winners and losers for uh, how they claimed that they were coming. If you come from a country that is poor and has crime, 
you can, in fact, come in and, and gr- claim that sort of asylum. The problem with asylum is that many times you're coming from a place that has a lower murder rate than Chicago. So what you're really doing is saying, I come from a poor country, therefore I want to become an American and I'll use asylum. As long as Article One judges, these judges that are, in fact, not federal judges in right. the ordinary sense, as long as they give them a pass, you now have somebody who's never going to leave and becomes part of our society. Uh, Congressman, would you, uh, you, you're now 10 seats away from the take of the majority in the House. Evidently, you guys have targeted certain seats to take over. Have you sensed a, a, a move to organize, to get ready for 2022 already? You know, Kevin McCarthy was uh, in Mexico yesterday campaigning. Uh, Steve Scalise has already visited several of these uh, districts. Yes, uh, we are we are in that process uh, around the uh, the country. We're also in the process of of recognizing that this redistricting will be huge. And so one of the things we have to do is make sure we get a fair redistricting. And California is a good example where they have a system that gave us a very unfair redistricting 10 years ago. And we went from more than 20 members down to as few as six at one point. And right now we're at 11. And uh, so we know that we have to get a fair redistricting in California and other states like that. If we do, we will retake the majority. Yeah. Uh, Congressman, appreciate your time. Uh, thanks so much. Exciting time in your state and for the country. Thank you, Brian. Talk to you soon. one 408 When we come back, we open up the phones and find out what's on your mind and find out if there's indeed more to know. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. You know, you got to wonder, with everything going on in the world, is it time to know more? More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Congratulations to Greg Gutfeld. He's going to have a nightly show on Monday through Friday. He's done extremely well over the weekend. Gutfeld from the 5. He'll keep the 5. He'll go on at 11. Shannon goes to 12. Um, Shannon's show is excellent. She comes on every Friday. I think this is good news. I just look forward to you making more appearances with Greg Gutfeld and continuing your witty back and forth. Yeah, he, uh, I said congratulations, and he says you're going to be a regular. I said, no, I'm not. I don't like him, and I don't like his show. Next, a million American moms are out of work through the pandemic. The backstory is the women in the U.S. hit a milestone in 2020 when, for the first time, they held the majority of non-farm payroll jobs. One year later, the women's workforce participation, a 33-year low. Why? The chasm between women and men's unemployment is driven by the difference between the pandemic experience of working moms and fathers. Uh, Take a look at how the prime age employment to population ratio is. 25 to 54 who are employed have changed for different groups of workers. The share of women aged 25 to 54 without kids who are employed has dropped 4.87% over the course of the pandemic. The drop is the same for men uh, at that age without kids. We're looking at men and women of prime age with kids. That drops 3.1% because with kids, they're at home. you got to stay home. 
It's unbelievable, the, the ripple effect of this pandemic. You know, I'm curious, too, about the teenage workforce. You have uh, teenage daughters. How are they uh, doing with their uh, It's very hard to get a job. But, uh, you know, there's some health clubs opening up. The ones that are going to go to restaurants, you're basically out of luck. Next, Twitter will explore letting users receive payments from followers. Uh, their Twitter CEO, Jack Dorsey, him with a big beard, said Wednesday the company is exploring allowing its users to receive tips or digital payments from their followers. Dorsey says the feature would help the social media platform earn more money and engagement. I assume they're going to take a percentage if you interact. What is it? If you're selling stuff, you want to buy my mattress, you take a percentage of the sale. What are they talking about? Well, I guess you can say, you know, if somebody likes, say, following you and you and they want to just, you know, tip you or give you money, like I guess like with Patreon type stuff online, you can make money off this. The Twitter now, CEO if you says get tips from, from uh, fans. Would you prefer uh, cryptocurrency or cash? I wouldn't even know how to work with cryptocurrency. Uh, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey says, uh, uh, I think the first thing we want to focus on is the economic incentive to people who are contributing to Twitter. Next, Bruce Springsteen got busted for DWI, but I think he kind of got screwed here. He's 71 years old, hanging out in a park. Evidently, he had a shot of tequila. The Asbury Park Press reported that his blood alcohol was 002 that's a quarter of the New Jersey limit of 0.08. The legal threshold in Jersey is is still low at 08. But the Park Police said what happened, and they saw what happened. They immediately pulled Springsteen over because he, st- he was taking pictures. Then a fan offered him a shot of liquor when he took it while sitting at the bike, which was stationary. How unbelievable you got to believe that when this goes to court, they're not going to tra- charge him with DWI since he was only 0.2. Maybe they can still get him with the reckless driving and pulling off to the side of the road. But there's no way at a 0.02. G, pull, G pulled the ad with him in it. Which, by the way, he never should be in it. Why is he telling me to be middle of the road when he's going to leave the country if uh, if Trump won again? And we don't think he's ever been middle of the road. Next, Pitbull warns, you know, the, the rapper, of a loss of freedom amid the chaos. It smells like communism. Quote, the reason I have this conversation is because my family comes from communism. They fled communism. They had everything taken away from them. Everything got, everybody got murdered. Everybody got killed. That's the reason me, being a first-generation Cuban-American, I came, I looking at freedom, and I appreciate this blank. I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate anything that you give me, and that comes from the fact that when Castro took over everything, I'm looking at what's going on right now. The only person here that's hot is Castro. He's going, y'all, doing what uh, you did it with the virus. You all took over the world with the virus. You got to be kidding me. Castro has missiles pointed to the United States. You know that. But neither Castro is in power anymore. Thankfully, one's dead, and hopefully the other one will die soon. That's me. That's not Pitbull. But I know he feels the same way. That is more to know. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason Riley, the Wall Street Journal, Fox News contributor, coming up shortly. And Jed Usably with us, vice chairman for the Corn Ferry in the firm's New York office. He's also served as the global sector leader. Uh, Jed Hughes, the Wall Street Journal, called him the owner whisperer. He's the one who does the hard things of getting the right coach to the right team in this place called the National Football League. 
helps the Hunt family find Andy Reid, the Glazer family find Bruce Arians. Both really ended up working out. What he looks for, how it's done, kind of interesting because it really transfers to the real world. So let and also Michael Loftus will be with us. Governor Cuomo in New York decided to go with this pop-up entertainment hubs. Just pop-up entertainment. Chris Rock and Alec Baldwin evidently got to him. What does that mean for the average entertainer, the actor, the actress? It's still going to be a bunch of rich, successful comedians and actors trying to get richer. What does it do for the average uh, comic? And Michael Loftus may be the top, one of the top ten comics in the country. Uh, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And I was pleased to see that President Biden called out Xi on some of the nefarious actions that China's undertaken. But China is moving aggressively every day. They're moving against us. And are we ready to push back? Biden and Xi finally talked three weeks into him getting the job. Are we ready to confront our global nemesis? What about the China ties? Uh, and what about his ties to his family and China? Can he be allowed to be tough? Number two. What we're really seeing here is the Department of Homeland Security is going to be turned into a catch and release operation that empowers cartels to make money, moving human beings for profit across the border to move vast quantities of fentanyl and dangerous narcotics into the United States. Well, that is uh, so scary, and it's happening right now. Chip Roy of Texas talking about it. The ramifications and results from President Biden's border bungle, it's undeniable. Illegals are flooding in. The numbers are up 157% year to year. Ten cities are popping up with unaccompanied minors. Single males coming across up 182% in one year. That's because they think Joe Biden's letting them stay, giving them health care and a vaccine. No kidding. I'd come, too. Number one. If you want to know what the president intended, look at what he did after the siege began. He'd given that speech a dozen times and nobody had stormed anything. The best allegation is once the siege began, what did you do? Yeah, day two of impeachment. Dramatic, sobering video shows how much danger lawmakers were in and how it links to the president's guilt and where the case falls flat, where he's not. I'll review and preview the trial as America moves forward with this impeachment. Uh, Now let's bring in... Jason Riley, he's Manhattan Institute fellow, Wall Street Journal columnist, Fox News contributor, and he has a great documentary out called Thomas Sowell, Common Sense in a Senseless World. Jason, congratulations. I'm almost done with the documentary. It is riveting. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. And you're a natural. I love the open. You're sitting in front of an edit bay. You turn around, start talking. Don't, don't make it look so easy. I learned from watching you, Brian. I know. It's classes always in. Uh, no, but I mean, the topic is great. For people who don't know Thomas Sowell, he grew up as in probably the worst circumstances you can imagine. His dad dies young. His mom dies a couple of years after, raised by a great aunt in abject poverty, and goes to Harlem with almost no money in his and what's left of his family and is going to try to make it. And boy, does he. Yes, he does. Uh, it's it's quite a story. Um, he, you know, he he did not have a lot of advantages growing up, but he made the best of what he did have, and and we're all the better for it, Brian. Um, but he got he got a pretty rough start. He was a high school dropout. He didn't graduate from undergraduate college until he was 28 years old. Uh, did a stint in the in the Marines. Uh, you know, so he's he's had a he's had a tough road, but he's made he's made the best of it. He's a, he's an African American. And he, uh, yeah. born in segregated South, came up to Harlem for additional opportunities. He credit, and he's one of the most respected thinkers 
uh, in the country right now, maybe around the world, a deep thinker, uh, and came up, came up against impossible circumstances. In fact, as he was brought up, he was a Marxist, and he changed to become an ultimate conservative. But the whole thing started, and one of the pivotal moments I understand was when he met a guy named Eddie Maps when he was eight years old. Yes, this was someone that the family had arranged for him to meet uh, when he moved uh, to Harlem. Uh, Eddie Mapp had come from a family of, of immigrants from the Caribbean, uh, and he knew his way around Harlem and made sure Tom got into the right schools and met the right people and, and stayed out of trouble and took him to the library and taught him how to take out books and so forth. So, uh, so yeah, Sol credits his, his meeting of this guy as having a very pivotal role in keeping him on the, on the straight and narrow growing up. When did he realize America— it, with all its faults and all its inequities, was a place the, for a conservative thinker, not for a Marxist thinker, was a, was a place not for uh, somebody on the left but somebody on the right. What brought him to this evolution? Well, he says it was start a, a job in the government. Um, you know, he, he, as you mentioned, he grew up a Marxist, which is not all that common for a lot of uh, people on uh, conservatives. You know, Milton Friedman started on the left. Walter Williams, Clarence Thomas, Ronald Reagan, all of these people started on the left growing up, and so did Tom. But Tom says it was working in government and realizing that, that government had its own agenda, and that that agenda did not only not was not always what was best for minorities in particular and what they needed to move ahead. And, and, and so it was that experience, even more than, than studying under Milton Friedman at the University of Chicago, that caused Sol to abandon his Marxism and, and turn to free market capitalism. Here's a little of what the whole thing is like. Here's a, a clip row, cut 34. Most of the foolish things that are said on these programs were said 20 and 30 and 40 years ago and refuted 20 and 30 and 40 years ago. By you, quite often. Anywhere Thomas Sowell is, he's the smartest person in the room. Does he care about how he feels about things, how he wants the world to be, or how is the world as it is? You were a Marxist at one time in your life. What was your wake-up to what was wrong with that line of thinking? Uh, facts. <laughs> uh, facts. That's why he changed. And he went to the University of Chicago, and he had Milton Friedman, a conservative thinker who evolved to this point. And you said as he graduated, even after an economics course with Milton Friedman uh, on capitalism, he still was a Marxist. What changed after working in, working in the Labor Department? And he came up with this idea about the minimum wage. He th Obviously, we're debating that now. What did he think about the minimum wage? Well, he, he realized, and what he's written about extensively, is that there are trade-offs with the minimum wage. So if you make the minimum wage and it goes up, you're going to make more money. But what's also going to happen is a lot of people aren't going to get hired because they've suddenly become too expensive to hire. So are you, you're not necessarily helping people uh, get out of poverty if you're making it more difficult for them to get a job in the first place. And that was one of his uh, insights about the minimum wage, and it's still true today. And as you said in the clip, so many of our debates uh, today have, have occurred before. And, and Tom has been around long enough to remember when they came up the last time, whether we're talking about you know, slavery reparations or social justice or the minimum wage or affirmative action or, or what have you, Tom has written about this stuff and, and written about it in far more depth 
and with far more rigor than people like Ibram Kendi and Ta-Nehisi Coates and, 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 and the likes and, and you know, Michelle Alexander and Nicole Hannah, Hannah-Jones and so forth. And so um, I think, I hope that the, this documentary will highlight that, just how long Tom Sowell has been right about so many things and hopefully introduce him to a younger generation of people who may not know much about him. Uh, so we, we, we went through the 60s and we went through Reconstruction and we fought a war uh, to end slavery and start balancing out society. And people think we're evolving, but I think the anger is actually growing. The whole Black Lives Matter moment, the, we have a administration that's determined to make it equitable for all races, creeds, and colors through legislation. And Jason, that's not who you are. And you're black, and it's not who Thomas Sowell is, and he's black. It's not for who Larry Elder is. He's on your documentary. He's black. Why not? Yeah, it, it, it's, you know, Biden has talked about unity, and uh, and I think he means it. I, I think Joe Biden is disturbed by how divided we are, and he honestly would like to bring people together. But at the same time, he wants to accommodate the progressives in the Democratic Party, and they are not interested in unity, Brian. They are interested in revenge for four years of Donald Trump. And main, and they're also interested in, 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 you know, Black Lives Matter is not what Martin Luther King was talking about, which was colorblindness. They're talking about color consciousness. It's, it's turning King's message on its head. And so Joe Biden is going to have a hard time um, bringing us all together racially or politically or any other way while also trying to accommodate people who want special privileges for certain people of certain races and ethnicities and so forth. Those two things are compatible. And he has to pick. Does he really want unity or does he want to accommodate people who want special preferences right. for people based on race and ethnicity? And Everybody so that's introduced for a cabinet position, they go, she is the first woman. She is the first black. Yeah. She is the first Indian. She is that. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, you're kind of diminishing me by de- defining me by my ethnicity. Did you see my resume? If they were introduced to me, he's yeah. the first Italian Amer- uh, Italian Irish person to ever be Secretary of Labor. I go, okay, thanks. I, does that have anything to do with this? <laughs> You know, some. Well, that's the left today. That's the identity politics that drives uh, the progressives and, to a large extent, the Democratic Party. Uh, that's what matters to them most your race, your ethnicity, and that defines you. Um, so, again, they are far more interested in, in the superficial things that separate us than they are in what brings us together as Americans. And I so they highlight our differences. I don't know if you've come to that conclusion, but family and education are the two things. It doesn't mean a rich family, and it doesn't mean. Uh, uh, you know, a rich, an affluent family with a lot of connections. It means a family. She says, you need to go to a good school. He was able to change schools. He's big into school choice because his school would have put yeah. him backwards. He was able to go to a better school that got his potential out. Number two, he says, you need an adult who cares, who wants you to make sure you go to school and do your homework. Because you go to this school, you come yeah. home and do whatever you want. There's no reinforcement. And what happened with welfare? It divided the black family. Here's he is talking about maybe they intended to help, but it hurt. Cut 36. Most people have not recognized the fact that, in, that if you go back into the 20s, you find that married couple families were much more prevalent among blacks then than today. As late as 1930, blacks had lower unemployment rates than whites. So all these things that we complain about and, and attribute to the era of slavery, those things should have been worse in the past than in the present. But in fact, they're worse in the present than in the past. And I think if you want to look for a turning point, it would be since the 1960s. And what happened in the 1960s? 
You began to have not only the welfare state, you began to have the mindset that goes with the welfare state so that there was no stigma any, any longer attached, for example, to being on relief or welfare. And one of the d- debates in your documentary talks about him, someone saying, you know, of course you need welfare. He goes, you treat, you, if you're on welfare, you'd be treated like a child. You have to do certain things. Yeah. You have to answer to people. And it's demeaning. Yeah, and and we were talking earlier about about what a tough upbringing Seoul had, Um, you know, coming from the segregated South and being raised in Harlem, a ghetto in New York City. And uh, but one thing Seoul has talked about having and feeling feeling very lucky about having are a bunch of adults raising him. He was raised by a great aunt and her two adult daughters, one of whom was married, and the husband of the daughter lived with the family. So Tom was essentially raised by four adults, and he's written about how important that was in his life and how lucky he was, despite all the other disadvantages of being black in America at that time and in those places, he still had this going for him, strong family. And and to this day, he, he cites that as an example of what is needed to help other blacks rise as well. And I think he's absolutely right. I just wish we could have this conversation instead of accusations. And that's why your documentary is so important. How do you get it? Well, a couple ways you can get it. You can go to soulfilm.com, and that's where you can find out where it's going to be playing on your local public uh, television channel. And you can also go there and stream it. Uh, it's available on Amazon, on YouTube, and on Vimeo. So there are a few different ways to see it. And Soul, uh, S-O-W-E-L-L, a common sense in a senseless world. So I just want to, before you go, and Jay, so I always love having you on. You wrote this column about how teachers' unions, and I said, okay, here we go again. But you said they've overplayed their hands. In Chicago, they've held out for weeks. We know within New York, they've tortured families by consolidating their efforts and putting teachers first. And in San Francisco, they're actually getting sued by their people. Are they actually overplaying their hand or are they, or are they winning? I think they are overplaying their hand, Brian. I mean, we've always known that they controlled public education and we go sort of roll our eyes and say, okay. But COVID has taught us just how much by through controlling education, they control our everyday lives, Brian. Schools close, you can't go to work. Working parents can't work, can't earn a living. Uh, These are because we are at the mercy of the teachers unions who refuse to do their job, in-person learning. And that's probably a revelation for a lot of Americans, something they didn't think about before when they thought about teachers unions. Now they are thinking about it. They're thinking about alternatives to traditional public schools that unions don't control for their children in case something comes up in the future. They don't want to be at the mercy of these unions again. So I think, yeah, maybe they are overplaying their hand. We'll see. I hope so, because, you know, you mentioned, too, the charter schools are the one consistently, especially in New York, they get ranked higher, which means kids benefit more, which means we got to have more of that. Because just like anything else, when there's competition, it, it induces quality. What do they say? Steel sharpens steel. We got to get everybody competing yep. to be the best school uh, to raise the, to get the, all the promise out of all the kids. That should be the approach. And it looks like this administration is scared to death of forcing these unions to do anything because of the money they put in and because of the votes they get. Uh, Jason, thanks so much. Congratulations. I look forward to your new book uh, that's coming out, Maverick, a biography of Thomas Sowell. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. Thank you, you, Brian. You got it. When we come back, your turn, 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's more than a game. Learn a lot about hard work, dedication, putting in time. It's their way to like cope with anything that's going on it's the, how they make friends yeah it's nice to win it's nice to play games but outside of that you don't see how the teams are family it's about like team and coming together with your friends and actually being able to do something you all work well with together yeah your teammates help you like find who you are really they push you to be your best so that is just some of the uh some of the interviews with the high school kids who got word two weeks ago that they're going to play high school season and that really resonates around the country. Eight, eight states just said, no way. They're not allowed to play sports. We're in a pandemic. It's too much of a risk. Others say, go ahead and do it. And all the private schools and Catholic schools, they were doing it. And they pulled it off and they had their championships. Yeah, people tested positive. Certain games are postponed. Players get sick. They come all the way back. They have they don't have severe symptoms when they do get it for the most part, but they're willing to try. In New York on Long Island, they decided to try. The governor said, if you can do it, do it. So the two county executives went and did it. And I hope people listening around the country right now will take a page from what I believe Westchester to in New York and Nassau and Suffolk. And if you're listening upstate, uh, I want to hear from you. And letting the kids play. And I'm not talking about full scholarship kids. I'm not talking about the next Michael Jordan. I'm talking about competing and having some semblance of order and discipline after school so they don't just sit there in their laptops. It's not their fault. And wonder, you know, when am I going to see my friends again? When can I get into an environment? Why, why exactly did I train all summer? Why did I put maybe since the time I was six into this sport? And didn't I want to play in college? And what colleges even knows I'm out there now? Because I didn't have a chance to play in high school. For New York, they're going to try to get nine months in six months or five months. They're going to play the fall sports now, even though there's six inches of snow on the ground. Then they're going to play winter, and then they're going to play spring. And I give them all the credit in the world. They're not going to have their state championships, but they're going to try. These kids need to play. Guess what? They did a study. 34% of the kids said they are so depressed they had to seek professional help because they weren't allowed to be on a team sport, to compete in their sport. All preventable. So if you're a superintendent listening, let them play. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You're a guy that didn't get your shot to be the head man until you were 60 years old did you ever think you would see this day uh, if they ever gave me a chance yeah and uh I'm, I'm really i can't say enough better coaching staff man they have done a great great job in the playoffs and especially in this one todd bowles byron leftwich and keith armstrong just fantastic job harold goodwin in the running game uh my hat's off to the coaching staff and uh, our players man our players bought in and uh, have just done a great job Well, uh, that's Bruce Arians, and, you know, he came out of nowhere for many people outside football to coach the cult and have them success when the head coach uh, had cancer surgery, and he caught to a lot of people's attention. And then when Bruce Arians was out of football, I met him on a book tour when he just looked back, he's known as a quarterback guru. You thought he was probably done, but he wasn't. He led this team called the Tampa Bay Bucks, uh, led by Tom Brady, uh, to a Super Bowl a couple of days ago. 
Who's the one that saw the potential of it being a match with Tampa Bay? Who's the one who looked at Andy Reid after he left Philadelphia short of a Super Bowl title and thought he'd work perfect in Kansas City? Well, that man is Jed Hughes, vice chairman and global sector leader. He is a vice chairman of with Corn Ferry in the firm's New York office, and he's known some some for many people, according to the Wall Street Journal, of a owner whisperer. Jed, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian, my pleasure. So you know football. You coached it. I spent 20 years working with seven Hall of Fame coaches, including Chuck Knoll, Bud Grant, Bo Schembechler, Tony Dungy, to name a few. Why'd you leave? I got fired twice in a year and uh, had my master's and Ph.D. from uh, the University of Michigan and decided I'd uh, use my ability to recruit and build relationships and uh, go into another line of work. And then when did you realize those, those lines of work could cross? Well, probably about 10 years ago, I was working uh, for Spencer Stewart, and an opportunity came up uh, to pitch the search for the CEO of the Green Bay Packers. And uh, we went up there and won that search and put in Mark Murphy, who was the former captain of the Redskins during sure. Joe Gibbs' day, and uh, a former and a lawyer, and we recruited him from Northwestern, and that kind of started it. Uh, and then uh, I got recruited to Corn Ferry eight years ago, and we've built this global sports practice that has had a major impact across all the major sports here in the United States and abroad. When you mean major impact, in what way? Well, we've placed the commissioner of the National Football League, the commissioner of Major League Baseball. We've done four of the major conferences uh, in the United States in, co- in college, including the Pac-12, the Big 12, the Southeast Conference, and most recently the Big Ten with the first African-American Power 5 commissioner in Kevin Warren. What do you think the key is? Like, what can you evaluate about people uh, you wearing a business suit uh, that you can see what they're going to be like on a, on a sideline uh, wearing a headset? Well, it's more than it's more than that. It's understanding how they were developed. And you mentioned two head coaches that were in the Super Bowl, and both had very different paths to success. Andy Reid, you know, had an opportunity when he was at BYU to meet Mike Holmgren. After working at several colleges, Mike Holmgren ended up at the Green Bay Packers as the head coach. Andy Reid came to the Packers and was tutored and given a a unique assignment to uh, work with the tight ends and to look and study film. At the same time, Ron Wolfe, the Hall of Fame general manager, took a liking to Andy, and they spent a lot of time studying film and personnel. And one of the things about Andy's background, what he learned in Green Bay was how to develop plays and schemes. And he's an artist, a creative artist, when it comes to schemes and utilizing talent. So Green Bay is, you know, like the Amazon uh, or the Google or the Facebook of developing talent. It's an academy-type organization. So Andy had the, uh, the opportunity to be there and then come to the Philadelphia Eagles as their head coach. If you look at Bruce Arians or B.A., you know, here's an individual that had a very different path, had like 16 different jobs, had been fired as the head coach at Temple University, 
and, and had the opportunity to start rebuilding his career with the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger, and then had, went to the Colts. Head coach got sick. He took over, uh, had, had success, got hired to the Arizona Cardinals, had success, and became someone known as a, a quarterback whisperer, so to speak. And Tampa Bay was looking for some stability. Uh, the organization was looking for somebody who had achieved success. And Bruce is like that turnaround executive that private equity companies hire to come in three to four years, change the culture, change the tempo, and then sell it for a higher rate. So Bruce demonstrated with the Colts, with uh, the Cardinals, and now with the Bucks, he's kind of that turnaround person that comes in, tries to understand the organization, and adjusts. And, and, and adapts. And obviously, when they had to buy this year, the, uh, that gave uh, he and the offensive group a chance to really understand Tom Brady, having no training camp and no opportunity to really put a system in. They had two weeks to kind of redo their offense and redo the way they were going to think. Yep. And I think if you hear uh, B.A.'s comments, you know, that Tom, he kind of turned the reins over to Tom. And if you think about the championship game with the Packers, it was fourth down just before halftime, and B.A. sent out the punt team. Brady asked them to call a timeout. They went to the sideline. They got the first down, and on the next play, Tom hit a touchdown pass. <laughs> and if you think of the same situation, it's third down and fourth down with the Packers looking to score, and the head coach decides he's going to kick a field goal and doesn't get any input from the quarterback. So... Two different scenarios, mm -hmm. two different situations, and two different outcomes. Absolutely, but, and, and of course, he would never get the ball back, and it would be the Bucks in the Super Bowl. Here's Bruce Arians talking about uh, Brady, cut 40. This was a very, very talented football team last year, but we really didn't know how to win. When you bring a winner in and, he, and he's running the ship, it makes a, a total difference in your locker room uh, every time we step out on the field. And Jameis Winston was there last year. Now he's a backup in New Orleans, and he they, they won the bid to get Brady. And obviously they were celebrating in a flotilla yesterday, so it worked out. What are your thoughts, knowing that uh, knowing that your role in putting Bruce Arians there when they win the Super Bowl? Well, first of all, you know the, you you're working with ownership, you're working with the front office, so it's a group decision. You, you begin by setting up a, a position spec that defines what you're looking for. And you have three or four key criteria, and one of them was success as a head coach, you know, someone who had experience turning the culture of an organization. And I think when you, when you start evaluating that and the candidate pool, uh, he was the person mm -hmm. that checked those boxes. And I, I think the ability, even last year, you could see the momentum uh, that they were getting. And gaining, and I think the other piece that wasn't mentioned is that uh, Jason Light, the general manager, had a pre-existing relationship with Tom Brady, and the fact that he was in New England, the two of them together, and the fact that uh, they began to have conversations, and at the combine in Indianapolis, the combine is when the college draft picks all come together and are tested by doctors and lots of physical tests that they go through and mental tests and interviews. Mm -hmm. And at that point, uh, the evolution of the uh, Brady 
opportunity look like it may present itself for Tampa Bay. Very interesting. And it obviously worked out even without a training camp, which is defies logic. It's nuts. Um, and the, the odds of that happening. We're talking with Jed Hughes, the so-called owner whisperer. So you have the respect. You understand personalities. You could be a great coach, but it's got to be the right fit. Just give people an idea. Andy Reid is one of the most popular player coaches, they tell me, uh, in the game. Here's an example of his everyman status after last year's Super Bowl. Cut 42. But you got to promise us that you could really enjoy this. Don't turn the page and be on to the draft and all that. that you got to really inhale I give this. Him, I give him like three days and he's going to be back. And enjoy <laughs> this. Three days. I'm going to go get the biggest cheeseburger you've ever seen. <laughs> uh, prime, the biggest one. And uh, might be a double. And that's Andy Reid talking about, see, those guys like Deion Sanders, they love him. And that's his reputation. And he's like, I'm going to do something like every man. That's, that's just the right attitude, it seems, for that team. He's able to achieve cultural alignment. You know, he has the ability, as I talked about earlier, he develops plays for the specific players. He realizes that NFL players have a short lifespan, and it's his job to give them the opportunity to highlight their skills. So if you're a player and you have a coach that's developing plays to highlight what you can do, and that's going to impact your bottom line and salary, that's going to have a lot to do with you respecting the coach. And, and he's just got this ability to be a father figure type and uh, is ad- adaptable to uh, the organization. When he came in, the organization was in a turmoil. They had, had a player commit suicide, and they had to change the culture. And he and the former general manager, they walked the buildings, talked to the business side, posted leaflets about their beliefs and values before the first game. And he changed the whole culture of the building, not just the football side. And I think that's where he's able to have this incredible impact in an organization. And the reason that he's had so much success. And Jed, lastly, who are you working with now? Are you working to fill in any spots now? No, and the the cycle is over. Gotcha. The last last hire was... um, done in Texas. It was done in Texas. When you hear people say, like, uh, Eric Bieniemy can't get a job, what's going on? Todd Bowles should get another shot. Do you, have a, do you have a sense of what the interview process is like? Do you get reviews of how the player interviews? For the longest time, we heard Tony Dungy couldn't get a shot because he didn't, he didn't interview well. They didn't know how great a coach he was because he wasn't blowing him away in, in, the, in the office, I guess, in the interview process. Do you work well, with Tony- candidates for that? Tony and I worked together for five years. I sat next to him in the press box with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So Tony, you know, is, is smart. Uh, he's genuine. Uh, he's got this incredible spiritual belief. And he's the type of person that, you know, doesn't raise his voice. He believes in his players and instills confidence in them. But when you talk about uh, Eric Bieniemy and Todd Bowles, uh, EB, you know, had a – interviewed with every team this year. So uh, the opportunity presented itself. Somehow you've got to be able to make the case that you're the right person. I think that Todd Bowles, based on what happened uh, in the Super Bowl, I think at the beginning of the season the Tampa defense was really doing well, and then all of a sudden they hit a lull, and then they kind of regrouped, and during the playoffs really raised the level of their expertise. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of puts him in a – the driver's seat for the for next season in terms of 
if the team continues to play well, that he'll gotcha. be a very attractive candidate. Uh, Jed Hughes, congratulations on all your success. I uh, appreciate it. He's the owner whisperer. was able to make two, two great matches that gave us a great Super Bowl, or at least from Tampa Bay's perspective. Uh, but, you know, Kansas City's not going anywhere. Jed, thank you. Brian, my pleasure to be with you and your guests. All right, you, you got it. Hey, when we come back, uh, what about these pop-up entertainment centers that Governor Cuomo just okayed? Michael Loftus, one of this country's elite comedians, will be joining us to tell us his take. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Today I'm announcing that New York State is launching New York Arts Revival, a public-private partnership to bring the arts back. We will organize a series of pop-up performances and arts events across the state beginning February 4th. More than 150 world-class artists, including Amy Schumer, Chris Rock, Okay, enough. If it's not Michael Loftus, I don't want to hear it. Michael, welcome back. Outstanding comedian the Loftus Party. You got a show rolling out. First off, what was your reaction to this? Will this affect you, these pop-up, in, these pop-up things? This is the first I'm hearing of it. Whenever I hear of Cuomo, he's throwing somebody in an old folks' home trying to kill him. I didn't realize all of a sudden he loves stand-up. Oh, my goodness. I, my hope is it's not just giving superstars who usually sell out uh, arenas a chance. Alec Baldwin's got enough money in shows. Yeah, that's that's who I was. I've been worried about them the whole time. As soon as this whole lockdown thing started, I'm like, what's Chris Rock going to do? Is Kevin Hart going to be okay? Somebody <laughs> check on Amy Schumer. <laughs> so, Michael, if it, what about the comedy clubs? How I mean, it's unbelievable. They're ghosts. There's nothing going on in there. Open them up. Forget about your uh, your February outdoor events. Well, you know, you just got to get out of the city. Like I did a stand up special for Fox Nation. It's hilarious, and the world needs to see it. But I went down. I've gone down to Texas, and I've done shows. Yeah. They're amazing. I, I did. I did my Fox Nation show from Nashville. The clubs are open. You you I, when when you live in New York or you live in Los Angeles. You think you think the world is over. You think it's all done. Game set. Throw in the towel, everybody. And then you go down to Texas, and everybody's, like, having a blast. They're wearing two masks, but one is their face and the one is the underwear. Understand. Uh, as long as you're protecting <laughs> yourself. Michael, I mean, is it all pandemic humor or the opposite? Well, listen, when something this outrageous happens, I got to roll with it. I got to make fun of the mask police. That's always going to happen. And these COVID restrictions in the restaurants, you know, where you you can sit at the table, no mask. But if you stand up, you have to put a mask on, no mask for eating. You can fly on an airplane. It's ridiculous. And every day people just see just how much more ridiculous it gets. So uh, we have, I understand your show that you've been writing, starring Kevin James, is coming out, right? Yeah, yeah. We premiere, I should know this, Brian. Monday. I should know this by heart. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, come on, it's your career. I know your career better than you. Yeah. Hey, dude, I, I, I know your career. You're the busiest man in show business. I'm, I, it's, a, it's a full-time job just keeping up with you, oh. with your seven books a day, your 12 TV shows. Your 142 radio appearances. Well, it sounds a little rese- instead of being happy for me, it sounds like you're resentful, which I find disappointing. What's the name of your show? There's a little. There's a little. <laughs> it's called it's called The Crew, and it stars Kevin James. The cast is is fantastic. 
And what I love about it is it's just straight up comedy. It's just straight up funny. We're right. not going to do anything like inject politics into it. It's the way right. the way sitcoms are supposed to be. Let's just get together, laugh, kick up our feet, and just have a blast. So, Michael, real quick, we only got a minute left, but Bobby Moynihan plays me on television. Here's what he tell. Here's how he described me. Did you ever hear from the people who you impersonated, or did you ever have any strange interactions with people who who you who you played on the show? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Brian Kilme tried, he like sent me a signed book and I'm not a fan. Uh, you didn't read I'm it? not a fan at all. Um, no, he said a lot of terrible things. Uh, yeah, he's just, I'm not, uh, I don't even wish to speak of him. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, what do I do? My feelings are hurt. Where, where do I go from here? What do you do? You go down to Starbucks where he's panhandling because you can't get a job and you give him a buck. <laughs> It just hurts my feelings. At least you like me, right? I'm a huge fan. Thank I you. I can't wait to read your. I can't wait to read your fourth book today. <laughs> At the Loftus party, Michael Loftus still doing well. Can't wait for your show. Thanks, Michael. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.